Hey friends, welcome to Girls' Night. I'm Stephanie Mae Wilson, and I am so happy that you're here. Each week, I have a girlfriend over, and we talk through one of the biggest questions we have about our lives as women. We're talking about friendships and faith and relationships and self-confidence, about our calling in life and how to live every bit of our lives to the absolute full. Life is so much better and easier and absolutely more fun when we navigate it together as girlfriends, and I cannot wait to get started. Now, today on the show, we're talking about what to do when doubt creeps into your faith. I think we all have these moments in our faith when we find ourselves wrestling with doubt. We're asking hard questions, maybe even asking, is God even real? But nobody talks about their doubt, which means we're all wrestling with it alone, which is so hard. Everything is harder when we try to do it by ourselves or when we feel like we have to keep it a secret. But that's why I'm so excited about this episode. Friends, if you ever struggle with doubt, you are so not alone, and you also don't have to navigate it alone either. I'm here to help, and so is today's guest. Our guest for today's episode is Andrea Lucado. Andrea is the author of the book, English Lessons, The Crooked Path of Growing Towards Faith. Andrea has experienced her fair share of doubt in her faith walk, even after growing up in a really strong Christian church and home. That's why I knew she was the perfect person for this topic. Andrea is going to teach us what to do when we experience doubt or find ourselves asking big questions about our faith that we don't know how to answer, what to do with the shame and the guilt we sometimes feel when that doubt does creep in, how to seek God in the midst of our doubts, and who we can go to in our lives that can help us with our doubt and big questions. But before we dive in, one of the times that I think we all struggle with doubt the most is when we're really praying for something or hoping for something or really, really want something in our lives and it just seems like God isn't showing up. Anyone else experience this? Just me? But that's why I wanted to make sure that you've heard about my new prayer journal. It's called The Between Places, a hundred days to trust in God when you don't know what's next. The Between Places is a powerful, practical way for us to connect to God in times when our future feels really uncertain. The Between Places will help you trust God with the trickiest, most uncertain, and most important parts of your life. It'll help you believe more fully than ever that God is good, that He loves you, and that He's taking care of you. It'll help you live today with more contentment, step into the future with more courage and faith, and rest in God's peace knowing that He's with you every step of the way. To pick up a copy of The Between Places, all you have to do is head over to my shop. It's esmaywilsonshop.com, and that link will also be in our show notes. I can't wait to share this with you. Okay, now with that said, let's hop into the episode with Andrea. I'm so excited for who I get to introduce you to today. I'm sitting here with my new friend, Andrea Lucado. And Andrea, I'm so glad to have you on the show. Oh, I'm so glad to be here. I'm so excited. Tell me, so for for women who aren't familiar with you yet, would you tell us who you are, what you do, and a fun fact about yourself? Um, Yeah, so I'm Andrea, and um, I live in Austin, Texas. I'm a freelance writer. So I do, I've also written one book that came out about two and a half years ago, but my writing now is mostly for other people. I do a lot of digital content for marketing firms, um, press writing, actually do quite a bit of writing for the music industry in Nashville because I used to live there. Um, And then fun fact about me is I actually have dual citizenship. I was born in Brazil. And so I'm a Brazilian citizen and a U.S. citizen which I don't look Brazilian at all, but I like telling people that. <laughs> that how did that happen? That is, that's yeah. a really good fun fact. Um, What's your yeah. connection to Brazil? My parents were missionaries for five years, pretty soon after they got married. So my older sister and I are both Brazilian citizens. My younger sister was born in Texas, but I think my citizenship is good for forever. So I'm pretty sure I'm still a citizen there. I'm not 
totally sure. I think that's very cool. That is a very, very cool fun fact. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> do you speak any Portuguese? <laughs> I don't. My parents do though. It was like their secret, secret language with each other growing up. And we would like be in the kitchen and they would be speaking to each other in Portuguese and we wouldn't know with it. Like such a great thing for parents to have around their kids. Like just say whatever yes. they want and they don't know. So, but I think my first word was a Portuguese word when I was like one and a half or something. What was it? Do you know? It was que, which means I want. <laughs> so, uh, that sounds is right. way easier to say than I want. I know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, I don't think that's usually like, an American kid's first word or an English speaker's first word, probably because one. But it's because I want is the word. Yeah. yeah. Uh, okay. Well, that's very very cool. So today, I really, I'm, I'm really glad to have you on the show. You wrote a beautiful book about a journey in your life where you had a, a season away from home and got to kind of reevaluate your faith and what you believe and why you believe it. And um, I say got to like, that's a happy thing. And it is, I think, in the grand scheme of things. But I know that when we're feeling doubt or we're feeling unsure or we're asking big questions, it feels like a bad thing and it's really uncomfortable. And so I'm really, I'm excited to talk through all that today and just hear um, some of what you've learned and um, just see if we can walk with some of the women who I know are asking big questions right now, just through a little bit of the journey and just remind them that they're okay and um, that they're going to be okay. And it's okay that they're asking questions. And so to, to kind of kick things off, can you tell us some of your story when it comes to experiencing doubts? Like what was this part of your life like and how you worked through it? Yeah. So the first time I really remember experiencing doubt was when I was a sophomore in high school and there had probably been some like underlying doubts leading up to this, but I do remember a moment where I just really started to question. And these were big doubts, like does God exist kind of doubts. I think that there are layers of doubt, but, um, so this was definitely one of those, uh, big kind of moments and big sort of questions for me. So I was, I was running in my neighborhood I used to run, I would try to stay in shape for volleyball or something. I don't think I was a great runner, but, um, I was trying to pray cause I liked to pray while I, while I ran. And I just remember for the first time feeling like no one was listening, like no one was on the other side of that prayer. It kind of felt like my prayers were like ricocheting off the ceiling and coming back at me. And I just didn't sense the presence of God. And that kind of sent me in high school that sent me on a path of, rebellion, rebelling against my parents' rules. I kind of decided, I'm sure I was feeling anxiety that I couldn't really articulate, but I just thought, well, if God doesn't exist, if he's not real in my 15 and 16 year old wisdom, I'm just going to do whatever I want. Because <laughs> at that point, God was probably a lot about rules and what you can and cannot do. And I think grace was a bit of a later lesson for me. But um, so I kind of went through this season of sitting out of the house and partying and drinking and um, lying to my parents as the thing that I felt the worst about was just the the lies that go along with that sort of behavior. And, um, I remember kind of when that had to come to an end, um, I kind of got caught by a friend's mom. We snuck out of her house and she found out and she was like really good friends with my mom. And she said, if you don't tell your mom, she called me on the phone at my house. She just goes, which I'm like this, she is an awesome woman. Like I still know her, but she was like, 
you know, I, I have to tell your mom if you don't. And I was like, and so she gave me the chance to tell, talk to my mom myself. And I did. And, um, my mom met me with a lot of grace. Like she wasn't, she was sad. She cried with me. Um, I was grounded for a very long time. I wasn't allowed to see certain <laughs> people for a while, <laughs> certain friends, but that was just something I really needed. Like I was going through kind of a season of doubt and, and fear and rebelling. And I didn't really need a mom who was going to come down really hard on me. And so I'm really kind of grateful for that. So that was kind of like my high school season of doubt in 2008 to 2009. I moved overseas. I'd gone to a Christian college. I didn't struggle with too much doubt in college that I remember. I was really surrounded by a bunch of other Christians and it was an easy place to believe and a really like not in a bad way. It was like a really good time for me, a really good time of growth and like protection that I really needed. So it was a Christian bubble, but I like needed to be in a bubble for a little bit because I was about to be outside of the bubble. And so I moved to, um, I moved overseas to do grad school in England and I, England is just, um, it's a different faith landscape for sure. I grew up in Texas where it's like 71% Christian, at least nominally Christian. And, you know, people go to church and in England, it's, it's cool because the people who are Christians are really Christians. Like they're really, uh, they really believe that, but there aren't a whole lot of them. And so I was the only Christian in my class that I knew about. I didn't have Christian professors. Um, I did go to church there, but I struggled with a lot of doubt and those were the big questions. And I had kind of it, agnostic and atheist friends for the first time. I think I had had some friends like that in high school, but definitely not in college. I really hung out with mostly Christians. So this was my first time to just kind of daily be with people who didn't believe like I did. And it really rattled me. Um, it was a difficult season. It was kind of a dark season. I asked a lot of questions, particularly if I hadn't been raised the way I'd been raised, would I still be a Christian? Cause I was seeing all of these people raised somewhere else who didn't believe this. And I was like, well, that makes sense. I mean, you were never told about this. So, um, so yeah, I asked a lot of big questions and I kind of, um, I had a good, I had a good friend while I was there who was helpful in that process. I had kind of a cool, moment where I was trying to make a decision about what I was going to do after school and really felt the presence of God in that decision and ended up staying in England a little bit longer than I thought and had some really great experiences and solidified friendships in that season that I would have missed out on. And so there was a lot of, it's not like everything was really resolved while I was living in England, but there was a lot of hope by the time I left compared to when I moved over there. So those look as kind of a lot, but <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and you, um, just like to give a little bit of context. So you said like 71% of people in Texas are at least like would say that they're Christians, but you grew up in like a very solid Christian family, right? Yeah. Yeah. My, uh, so my dad's a pastor, um, in San Antonio and a writer like writes, he turns his sermons into books. So his, his books are all Christian and my mom is a really strong believer, both of my sisters, a lot of my extended family even are Christians. Um, so yeah, I was definitely raised in, um, a really strong Christian home, evangelical, um, our, the denomination I grew up in was church of Christ, but it changed to non-denominational. So kind of Protestant evangelical is my, is my faith background. But, um, but yeah, my parents are, 
are super strong Christians and that's what they taught us all growing up. That makes a lot of sense. So what did you, you know, when you found yourself experiencing this doubt, all of a sudden you're surrounded by people who don't believe the same things that you do. And, um, and you're like, you know, what, if, if some circumstances were different, would I still be in the same place? What did you, how did you respond to those doubts? Did you, cause I think sometimes having doubts feels like a really bad thing. So sometimes we try to crush them, um, or we try to keep them silent because it's like, seems, I don't know. It seems like something you shouldn't tell people that you're having doubts about God or we rebel or, I mean, so what did you do in the face of those doubts? Yeah. Um, they were really uncomfortable. I didn't like them. I didn't share them much with, um, my atheist and agnostic friends for sure. I just didn't feel super safe doing that. But, um, I, I did a lot of internal processing, which is like kind of how I operate anyways. I journaled a lot about it. Um, I did a lot of like thinking and praying. And I remember I was in the middle of doing a Bethmore Bible study when I moved over there. And so I just kept doing that and finished. So there was a lot of kind of just internal stuff going on. I also, um, joined a church when I first got there and, I kind of, even though I wasn't quite sure what I believed, I was, I was still really consistent in going to that community every week or twice a week, excuse me. But I, and I shared some about my doubts with like one friend I remember, um, who wasn't in that kind of same place, but she could understand where I was coming from. And she prayed a lot with me, um, which sometimes was helpful. And sometimes I was like, just not in a, I was like, I just don't, I don't even know what, what I believe about this. So it's hard to pray. But so I think I kind of, I stayed in Christian community. I did a lot of processing on my own. Looking back, I was pretty good about not pushing down the doubts and really thinking about them and really, um, asking them. And I think that we can be ashamed of that and think that, we're not supposed to doubt um, that this means something really bad about our faith or our salvation. Um, but I really think that doubt is a part of the faith process, not a detour from the faith process. It's something that you have to wrestle through. And I think that I was maybe sensing that, like, I need to just sit in this place. I also kind of, I was studying English literature. I was living in Oxford and there's a lot of space for like, taking long walks and going to the library. It's the perfect place to be contemplative if you're that kind of person. And so I was able to really sit in it, I think, instead of, and it's also kind of a dreary, rainy place. So it's a good setting for (laughs) these kind of feelings and emotions. So yeah, I kind of let them run their course. And that wasn't because I was being like wise and really knew what was going on. But I think I just knew that I needed to do that. I knew if this faith was going to be my own instead of just something that I was handed or told to believe that I needed to believe it, like I needed to wrestle with this. So it was kind of a combination of like, I stayed in a faith community. A lot of that was just comforting and like what I knew, especially as a pastor's kid. Um, But then I also kind of let myself sit through these questions and have them and not push them away. And I think that there was some safety that I was far away. Like my parents are, would have been very accepting and understanding because they're like that and have gone through their own seasons of doubt. Um, but it was good for me to kind of be away figuring this out on my own a little bit. So, yeah. So you'd say that, you know, if we're experiencing doubt, 
in this season or, you know, down the line or already have or already have and are again, um, that it's a part of it. It's not, um, it's not a bad sign. It's not, it's not a sign of failure or lack or it's just, but it's part of it. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Like, I feel like I kind of compare it to like you walk into a dark room and the light switch is on the other side and you have to feel your way through before you can find the light switch and turn it on and see what you're looking at. And I think that's what doubt a season of doubt is. You're feeling your way through your faith and you're getting to know that room really well. You're like, Oh, the couch is here. The coffee table is here. I don't exactly know where I'm headed. I don't exactly know what this will all look like in the end, but I'm really kind of getting to know my faith for my own and grasping it for my own. And so when you get to the end, you're actually much stronger. I think you're kind of, and it's not like, I don't think there's, you know, you doubt one time and then it's over forever. I think I've had kind of seasons of the big questions of doubt, like, does God exist to, okay, the divinity of Christ, like, where am I on that? And then to things like, well, do I believe God is good in this moment? Do I believe God is present in this? Like there's layers and um, different levels of doubt, but, um, but yeah, I think, it's, it's kind of like something necessary if you really want to understand and, and know your faith for your own, you kind of have to walk through that dark room. It's funny because when you said the dark room, the first thing that popped into my head was that um, we know that when one of our senses is taken away, our other senses are heightened. And so if all of a sudden you can't see you're, you feel that room with your hands in a way that you never have before. Like maybe you never noticed what the carpet felt like or what the couch felt like, or, you know, you've never run your hand against the wall or smell or sound or something. And that's, there's something really cool about that, that you get to experience more fully parts of your senses when one's taken away. And I feel like that's really the same with doubt. When, when one part of your faith all of a sudden isn't working the same way it used to, you have to like explore a little bit more. And there's something pretty cool about that. Yeah, no, that's true. That's very true. I think I saw someone tweet this recently, something about like, like faith requires doubt because if faith was something you just were 100%, like I see God, I know what God looks like. It wouldn't require any sort of question, but a part of faith is like, I'm choosing to walk forward in this thing that I'm not totally sure about. And especially in moments when I'm like, I'm really not, I haven't heard God in a year, like those kind of moments. And so, so yeah, just, it's a necessary thing. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. So I have a whole bunch of questions that I just would love to like pick your brain and have you walk us through this, having walked the path and taking notes along the way. Like, I love that you did that. You, you walked the path in your own life and, and took some notes. And so, um, if for women who are sitting here today, like experiencing doubts, having doubts, like what's just, I don't know your first go-to piece of advice for them as they're figuring this out. So the big thing I've really seen, I would say, even after I wrote the book, this has been a big revelation is that our faith, was not meant to be practiced alone. Like it's meant to be communal. And there are some really beautiful, like biblical, like metaphors and and things that, that we can get into. But, um, I think when you're going through a season of doubt, it can be hard to talk to God because you're not sure God is there, or you think God's mean or not for you or something. And so 
I think when you're going through a season of doubt, it's important to talk to the people who you know are still talking to God. So the people who are maybe a little bit ahead of you in the faith journey, or even a peer, but has been through some stuff that you haven't, that you're just not going through talking to those people who are talking to God. It's like, you're kind of like prayer adjacent a little bit. Um, (laughs) and I just think that's really important. And I don't think it's a weakness in your faith. Like I really relied on that church I relied on others, people's faith. I felt very comforted by the idea that I could walk into that church. It was called St. Aldate's and know that the other people on the pew believed, even if I didn't believe. And I thought that that was weakness. I was like, this is not, I can't tell my atheist friend this. Like he will think that that is so, that just proves that this religion isn't real. But I just, if you look at the way kind of God set us up for this kind of church community, especially after Christ left and we have the Holy Spirit, like we were never supposed to do this alone. Like there's the church for a reason. And, um, I just don't think you can believe alone. I think if we were like left to our own device, if I was on a desert Island, I like to think that my faith would stay strong, but the reality is like, we need each other in this and we need to hear each other's stories and be reminded of what's happened to them and what they've seen and experienced. And we need to tell them our stories. So I would say stay in some form of Christian faith community. If you can, like, if you're like having like PTSD about faith, or if it's like, really like you've been through some stuff and you're like, I can't walk through church doors. Like I would say definitely like professional help is good or spiritual direction is really helpful. Like a therapist who has some sort of faith background who has context for that. It'd be hard to see someone who has no con like religious context. Right. So yeah, staying, keeping in communication with people and not isolating yourself and staying in those faith communities in whatever form that you're able to. Yeah. I, that's really good. Do you have any ideas of things that like aren't helpful or things we shouldn't do when we find ourselves asking big questions? I think like not, don't shy away from them. Don't push them down. They're going to come up. Like they're going to come up at some point. And I avoid questions for sure because I'm just not ready to like face it yet. But um, like letting the questions be there, not shying away from them. I always say like, like sometimes scripture can be hard. Um, I find the Psalms are pretty much always comforting or always, I mean, if you just want to look at it as like poetry, like if scripture is just something you can't look at or open, I think if you can read the Psalms or read maybe someone else's even reflection on scripture, that's kind of a kind thing. Um, I think that that's really helpful. Um, and David, like who wrote most of the Psalms, has been through it. Like <laughs> he's been in really dark places and yes. running for his life and doubting God and, and wondering where God is. And so it's such a great place for the doubter to go to, to those passages. And so, yeah, I think like, don't shy away from the questions. Don't completely reject your faith because of how you feel in this moment. Cause as we know, like feelings can be really fleeting and not actually true of of, you know, or indicative of what we're supposed to do next. Um, so yeah, I think those would be the main things not to do. Yeah. Um, do you think that like, you know, one of, I think our big fears when we're having doubts is that God is mad at us 
for it. And I mean, it like you could see how we can get there in our head. You know, it it like sort of makes sense, but also it doesn't. It doesn't. Like when you know God and you know his heart, it doesn't. But it's it, I think that's an easy place to get to is God's mad at me. And so I don't even know how to talk to him or like it's hard to have a, a good conversation with someone that you feel like you've totally failed. So what do you think about that? Like, yeah, do you feel like God's mad at us yeah. for, for having doubts? Yeah. I mean, I totally understand that feeling and that kind of that you would want to like hide maybe what you're thinking from God or hope. Oh, I hope he doesn't know that I've thought this or questioned this about him. And I have found a lot of, I mean, just the older I get, the more I study scripture. I'm like, if we want to know what God is like, like we need to look at Jesus's life because that was God in flesh and look at how Jesus treated the doubter. And Jesus was very open to the doubter, like doubting Thomas, the most famous doubter in the new Testament, the disciple who like after Jesus rose from the dead, he shows himself to the disciples. And Thomas says, well, I'm not really sure it's you. I need to see the scars in your hands and in your side before I can really know. And Jesus shows him the scars. And then he says, stop doubting and believe. So I feel like he gives Thomas the proof that he is needing. Um, and then encourages him to stop doubting, but he doesn't say, well, then you're not my follower. Like you must not love me. He's like, I understand that you need this proof and I'm going to give it to you. And he seems to be, Jesus seems to be open to those questions. And he seems to want people who are curious and have open hearts instead of, I know 100% what I believe at all times and I, I never waver. Um, so I feel like if that's how Jesus responds to the doubter, then that must be how God feels about us. Like, of course you need, of course you're questioning this. I'm not here right in front of you. I mean, I was like in the form of my son, like you weren't, you didn't get to meet him at that time. But so I feel like I understand the feeling of God would be mad, but then I would encourage you to look at what Jesus did and what he said in the gospels, it seems like God wouldn't be mad. He would understand. Yeah. Oh, I love that. And I mean, I feel like, you know, if we're looking for looking in scripture for examples of people who like knew it all and never had a doubt and had it all together, like that's kind of how the Pharisees acted. And God was like, Jesus was most frustrated with the Pharisees. I feel like out of the two, the people he had so much compassion for was, yeah, someone who's like, I don't totally know. Or, I don't think I believe any of this and, um, or I've never even heard about that. Like, I mean, he, he had so much patience for people who were, who were openly seeking answers yeah. and way less patience for people who acted like you had to have all the answers. Otherwise you weren't invited. Yeah, no, that's true. Yeah. It was the people who were like, I know what's going on. Yeah. He was just, he seemed so compassionate towards those people. And that's such an honest like the journey of the doubter is so honest and vulnerable. And I don't, I can't see Jesus rejecting that. You know, that's something that he calls us to be with each other and with him. And so, yeah, it's a beautiful thing. So as we're having doubts and asking questions, how do we talk to God? Like, how do we seek him in in the midst of those? What, what advice do you have there? Yeah. I think staying in community is really powerful. And I think something that I've learned now is just, I mean, we can really have church with our friends in a living room. Like we can, I can downplay those experiences and think the only thing, the only time with God that counts is my quiet time. Or the only thing that counts is like when I am deep in this Bible study 
when really we can have encounters with God everywhere all the time. And so I think that we can, I think when you're in a season of doubt and you're sitting around with friends and you're talking and you're, even if it's not a really explicitly theological conversation, that's an experience. That's a spiritual experience. Like that's something that the spirit is present for. I had this friend who in Oxford, um, who he's, um, someone who was definitely talking to God, like someone I talked to who I knew was talking to God. And I didn't talk much to him about my doubts and we didn't have super heavy spiritual conversations. We had, but we had real, like a real connection and we had a real, in its own way, it was a very spiritual time for me and very healing. And so I would say, don't downplay those interactions that you're having just because you're not feeling like worshiping God in your room, like just because you're not turning on like Bethel music all the time. And like, don't downplay any of those experiences that you're having, even the experiences that you have with strangers or kind of the beauty that you see in nature, like God is present in all of those things. And so kind of appreciating that and knowing just because I don't have this really tangible evidence that my faith is really stronger, that God is really real. I can be having spiritual experiences all the time. It's kind of opening your eyes to those things. And that's something I didn't realize until after realizing, oh, this friend of mine, like that was healing for me. And I didn't know because he wasn't, we weren't praying together and he wasn't walking me through a Bible study, but he just like watching his life and seeing how he was, was really a healing thing for my doubt. Yeah. Shout out to Claritin for supporting this episode and providing us with samples. Friends, springtime is finally here, but that also means allergy season is in full swing. I have always struggled with allergies and I don't know about you, but I am especially allergic to cats. More on that in a second. Well, luckily for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin Clear with Claritin D. Designed for serious allergy sufferers, Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so you can breathe better. This double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available relieves sneezing, a runny nose, itchy and watery eyes, an itchy nose and throat, and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. The time that I use Claritin the absolute most is when I'm at my parents' house, my childhood home. They have this absolutely beautiful cat that they love and I like, except for the fact that he sheds so much. So that means that I'm basically sneezing from the second I arrive home to the second I leave, unless I take Claritin. My dad has even started having it ready for me right when I walk in the door. Are you ready to live life as though you don't have allergies? It's time to live Claritin clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. Claritin, thank you so much for sponsoring our girls' night. We love having you. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. As many of you know, I recently wrote a book, and while it was the most rewarding project of my career so far, it also came with a lot of hard work and long nights. 
And sometimes when things started to feel a little bit overwhelming, I needed to get a few things off my chest so I could clear my mind and keep the writing process flowing. And the thing that helped me so much to sort through those feelings was therapy. Now tell me if any of this sounds familiar. Maybe you're going through something really hard right now, a big loss or a gigantic life transition. Maybe you frequently feel anxious, depressed, overwhelmed, or just generally discouraged. Maybe you really, really, really want your life circumstances to change, but you don't know how to actually change them. Or maybe you're feeling stuck as you try to work through your past, navigate your present, or figure out your future. Friend, if you can relate to any of this, you're not alone. I've been there, and therapy has been the thing that has helped me more than anything else with all of this. In the last 10 years or so, I've learned that strength isn't proving I can do it on my own. It's knowing that I don't have to. I'm at my strongest when I have a full support system around me, and an essential part of my support system is therapy. Therapy can be absolutely life-changing, that is, if you can afford it and find a therapist you like and trust. But of course, this is easier said than done, and that's why I'm so excited to be partnering with this week's podcast sponsor. Our sponsor for today's episode is BetterHelp. BetterHelp is the easiest and most affordable way I've ever found to find a great therapist. It's entirely online and super easy to sign up. You can get started right away. And if you don't love the counselor you're paired with, switching is easy and it's free. If you're going through something hard in your relationships, or if you're in a funk you just can't shake, if you've been feeling anxious or depressed lately, or if you're feeling stressed and you need help balancing your everyday life and schedule, BetterHelp is an incredible resource for you. And I'm so thankful that they've given me a promo code that I can share with you to make it even easier to get started. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash friendship today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash friendship. I think that, I mean, and you've kind of touched on this, that, you know, when we are feeling a lot of doubt or we're feeling a lot of anger towards God or his people or uh, just when we're in kind of a rough season, sometimes going to church is really hard. And sometimes, like, that's not the best time for a deep dive into a Bible study because you're just, like, a little too tender for that or a little too, like— closed off for that. And so I think, I I love that you said that because I think that sometimes, sometimes we need God to show up in different ways in our lives. We need to talk to him a little bit differently. And there have been some, um, when Carl and I first moved to Nashville, it took us a while to find a church, not because they don't exist here because they're on (laughs) like (laughs) every corner. (laughs) There's a million. Um, but it just, you know, we had just gone through something pretty hard with the faith community we had just left. And, so I know I had a lot of just, I wasn't angry. I wasn't like, I wasn't, and I wasn't mad at God. I just didn't totally want to be around big groups of his people right away. Yeah. And I didn't want to be part of like an institution or a, a like formal, formal gathering for a while. And so there were, I mean, for a couple months, every Sunday, we would go to the Starbucks drive through and get, you know, coffee or hot chocolate or whatever and breakfast And then we would drive. And you know this about Nashville, that if you drive 
any direction out of the city for like maybe 15 minutes, all of a sudden you're in the country. And it's so like, it's so crazy how that's so true. And I mean, if you drive 10 minutes west, all of a sudden it's like hills and mountains and lots of trees and nature. And so we would go on drives and we would pray together and we would like listen to music or, you know, worship or just be quiet. And we would just go on drives on Sundays instead of church for a long time. And it didn't, it didn't replace our need for community. We had community in other ways, but it just, it was just what we needed for the minute. And I think all too often we're pretty, we're, we're harsh and demanding with ourselves that like, you should do it this way, especially if we've done it that way for a long time. But I think that there's something really beautiful to be said for still seeking God in the midst of whatever the hard thing is that you're going through, even if it even if you need to seek him a little differently for a while. Yeah, I love that. And having permission to do that, because I know that I can feel, especially as like a pastor's kid, I mean, I still go to church most Sundays. Like it is just like in me to do that and to give yourself permission to have a season to be like, this formal environment is actually going to make me anxious or it's going to trigger things and I can't be there right now. That's so much, that's wisdom, you know, and that's growth. And that's knowing this isn't forever. I'm not going to never return to this community, but things need to look different for a while. And that's better than forcing yourself into something that's not going to be authentic and that's going to be hard. And that's going to make turn you off even more to faith that might already be hard. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So when we're experiencing doubts, I mean, I know that you said you didn't necessarily talk to some of your atheist friends about it, um, and that really you didn't talk to your parents as much about the doubts you were feeling, but it's we know it's so important to be in community. So how do we decide who is who's a good person to talk to and who's maybe not a good person to talk to about what we're thinking? That's a great question. I... And I think that applies to, you know, so many things like who's who, how do we identify safe people and how, um, and I think especially if you're going through doubt, um, I learned maybe kind of the hard way, like I needed to talk to people who had also shown vulnerability with me. So I knew that I wouldn't get shut down. Someone who, um, had displayed a lot of empathy in other situations, like just able to see other people's point of view. So I knew they would be able to step into my shoes and be like, even if they weren't doubting or really hadn't doubted much, period, could understand that experience. And then maybe someone who's a little bit ahead of you too on the journey or has um, kind of been there, done that, and just doesn't, you know, they've been through harder things or you know that they have experienced kind of dark places I think that those are good people. And I think you kind of know, and sometimes it's trial and error. I mean, I do think I have shared stuff with people and been kind of shut down or like, Ooh, that didn't feel good. I shouldn't have talked to that person about that. And it's just because it's a really close person, just because it's a really close friend, just because it's your mom, just because it's your cousin or whatever, it's okay to acknowledge, you know what they're, I know they're not a super safe person for me to share this with. Like, I think I've struggled with I need to just be honest with everyone in my life and let them know what's happening. And I've had to learn, I don't have to share everything with everyone. I can share certain things with certain friends and know that I need to hold back in some areas with other people I know. It doesn't mean they're not my friend and I don't enjoy them and want to spend time with them. But just this, especially doubt, it's such a fragile story. 
such a vulnerable place, you do want to make sure you're sharing it with someone who will carry that well and um, hold it um, kind of in a gentle way instead of, well, you just need to read this Bible verse or you just need to do this thing. And, and instead, someone you know will just listen um, and not try to not try to force you into a place that you're not ready to be in yet. Yeah. I think also like not... The other thing I think, you know, we have to kind of look out for is I think it's really tempting to talk to someone who's also felt the same frustrations or had the same problem we have, but I feel like it's important to look to see if there was ever resolution. So say you have like two friends, you have Susie and Amanda and Amanda made you really mad. And you know that Amanda's also made Susie mad in the past. And so you kind of want to go talk to Susie about it because she's going to get why you're so mad or why you're, you're having such a hard time. But the problem is if Susie's never mended things with Amanda, like it's, we've all been in that spot where we're sort of egging each other on and we're, um, kind of making the problem worse. And, and before we know it, we're more mad than we were before, or we're more upset, or we've all of a sudden we're like more offended than we even realized, or we have more doubts than we thought we did. And, um, so I think it's really important to, and this is, I don't know, kind of across the board when we're, when we're thinking about who to talk to about a hard relationship, looking for someone who's been there and who will understand, but also someone who has walked the whole path into healing or into reconciliation so that we're, we don't find ourselves like spurred on in the wrong direction. Does that make sense? Yeah, that does make sense. That's a really good point. Like you don't, your instinct is, I want to go talk to the person that I can like gossip with and just like t- say the the bad things um, about this person in the scenario, God. But the importance of, yeah, talking to someone who's come out the other side. And, and if not, you could find yourself building a really cynical community, which I feel like I have been guilty of even, um, in other areas, not even like doubt and faith, but maybe with church stuff or when I'm struggling with a certain theological issue or just kind of building a tribe a tribe that is all in the same place as me instead of some people who are ahead of me on that and have been on the other side. Fortunately, I feel like I have a good mix in my faith community here where it's like some of us find ourselves struggling with the same thing, but then like my pastor and some other people I know I can sit down with and they are in a different place with that. And they're like, oh yeah, I've been there, but I've kind of chilled out. And so here's what I can, here's what I can say. So that's, I mean, I even feel convicted in that right now. I'm like, I should, it's very easy to just find that tribe. That's going to be like, yeah, we hate her too, but really you need that person who's going to be like, but why? And what's your, what do you want that relationship to look like? You know, what do you hope for your relationship with God instead of like, yeah, let's just stay stuck in this same place forever. Yep. I love that. That's so good. So I know that, you know, we're talking about faith, we're talking about doubt, we're talking about the questions we are asking and hunting for some answers. But the truth is there are some things that there are just not answers for. And I mean, there probably are answers, but we need to ask God like face to face. And even then we probably won't be able to understand them. And so like, what answers do you think we can find? And, and when do we know when something is just kind of a a mystery? And how do we keep having faith in the midst of that mystery? Yeah, that's such a good question. 
Um, and so timely because I was just in um, therapy yesterday with a therapist I've seen um, just a few times, but she is probably late 60s, early 70s. We grew up in the same church denomination. She just has a lot of like context, I feel like, for my life. And she told me yesterday, she does a little bit mix of like therapy and spiritual direction, but she was like, as you get, she's like, as I've gotten older, my absolutes have become less, but my absolutes that I still have have become even more absolute. So she's like, I've realized some things I'm just not going to know, but the things I know, I really know. And she was careful in a good therapist way to not tell me a list of those. I was like, tell me what they are. <laughs> she was, she listed a couple of things. But I think she was careful to be like, I'm not going to just, you know, bang these over, over your head. But I do think that, um, we're all, we, and we all kind of have different things that, that, um, like, I feel like I've landed in some areas of my faith and other areas are kind of like still up here. And then I feel like other people I know have landed in those areas, but maybe some stuff I'm sure about is up in the air. Like, and I think when you're really thinking about faith, there are some tenets to the docs Christianity, which is like triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the divinity of Christ, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Like those are things that I for me are important for me to know like where I stand on them because they really kind of direct, well, am I going to do what this Jesus guy said to do? Or was he a lunatic and none of this ever happened? Like I, that's a paraphrasing C.S. Lewis, but, um, so I think that there are different absolutes for each person. Like I need to know this about God in order to move forward. And those might be different, different for me. But then I think that there are some like tenets of Christianity that it's like, well, if I'm going to believe in this God who is love, like there are some kind of like clutch things here that I, that I need to know. And I feel like for me, some of those have become more absolute. Whereas some other things things that used to be really important are mysterious and I'm more comfortable with them being mysterious. I feel like I'm not doing a great job answering this question, but I do feel like it's, it's individual to people I do think if you are like questioning Orthodox Christianity, there are some guidelines that would tell you, oh, I do believe in this or I don't believe in this. And I think I like the idea of like, maybe some of those absolute, you have less absolutes as you grow in your faith, but the real absolutes become more absolute. That makes sense. So when I was first becoming a Christian, I had so many questions about so many things. And really, my questions were like all of the like all of the big ones, like anything that was either a hot topic, like in the press or in politics or um, hotly debated or I mean, like, truly, I had every hard question you could think of. And because I became a Christian while I was studying abroad with my two best friends, I and they were Christians, they are Christians. Um, I asked them all of my questions and they were so kind to, to not, first of all, they didn't act like they knew all the answers, which was great, but they did sit with me and help me find some of them. And I remember like we would be in different places and really beautiful places all over Europe, which great place to fall in love with Jesus. And we'd be sitting there with like our Bible. Well, I didn't have a Bible. They'd be sitting there with their Bibles open, trying to show me different things and answer different questions for me. But one of the most impactful things that they said, my best friend Michelle would say, and I would ask her a really hard question, kind of thinking I trapped her. 
And, and like, how is she going to possibly answer this one? And she would say, that's above my pay grade. And I'd be like, what do you mean? Like, so do you think that this is a sin or do you think that this is going to happen? Or do you think that God thinks this or whatever? And she would go stuff like, really, that's above my pay grade. I have no idea. But it was those mysteries didn't take away from the fact or not like those answers didn't take away from the other things that she knew to be true about God because she had worked so hard and spent so much time with him to get so solid in the things that she did know. And the th- thing that I really love is, so my husband is like a major researcher. He He's the kind of person, we'll sit in church and it looks like he's uh, like checking football scores. He's like on his phone, which I'm like, put your phone away. <laughs> um, every once in a while, he's checking football scores. <laughs> but um, usually he's he's gone on some tangent based off of something that the pastor said and he is researching like the history and the connections and the whatever and like blah 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 and all these things that I like he just is so much more of a facts person and a research person than I am but even so something I just love and I so admire this in him and I and both of them and I've tried to really adopt it is there are some things about our faith that Carl like has no idea what the answers are and the truth is nobody knows the answers except for God but he's really comfortable with that. And he basically says the same thing Michelle said, where he says, you know, that's above my pay grade or like, I have, I have no idea, but the things, but it's okay to have no idea about some things. It's okay to have God be the one who knows about those things or to say, I don't know about this, but I do know this about God. Like, I don't know if this is okay or not okay, but I do know that God over and over tells us to love each other. And that's what Jesus modeled over and over again is loving all kinds of people, whether they were like, quote unquote, good people or super messy people. And usually they were messy people. Jesus just loved them. Um, and so I think I've been practicing and learning to say really the whole time I've been a Christian, you know, I don't know the answer to that, but what I do know is this. And so this is like knowing that this is how I'm going to move forward. Yeah, no, I love that. I mean, there's just, I have really like, like I audited a seminary class in Austin a couple years ago, intro to new Testament. And that stuff can just mess with you. Like it's fascinating, but it's like, and I, I would, I encourage doing that stuff and like really digging in, but it can raise a lot more questions that give you answers. And so I feel like with the new Testament lately, I've been like, I, want to know what Jesus Jesus did and what Jesus said. Like I am on board with what Jesus did and what Jesus said. I'm like some other things I'm like, I don't know. Like I have questions about some of this stuff, but it's like, I can come back to the way Jesus treated people and the stuff that he said, like I can, I can live my life that way. I can like, like that can be a moral compass. I'm totally comfortable with that. And yeah. And it's like the other stuff you're like, I don't know, but I know this. <laughs> yes. And it's like, just yeah, it's like, there's something that, you know, there's something that you kind of cling to. And I do think the older you get, the more comfortable you are with that statement. I don't know, or that's above my pay grade. Like, I think there was a season where that made, that made me uncomfortable. I remember dating a guy who said that and I was like, no way. Like you can't be a spiritual leader if you think that you, and now I'm like, that was so immature of me to be like, you need to just know everything. I'm sure I was looking for him to be stronger than me and in my faith in that season. But, but now, yeah, the older I get, the more I'm like, I don't know. And that's okay. And I, I don't know. And I, and I've got to figure this out. Yep. Yep. I think that the more we find out about something, um, this is a random example, but I, my whole life, I mean, since I was in fourth grade, I've, um, 
taken Spanish classes. Um, I It was required at my school in fourth grade and all the way through middle school and high school. And then I took them all the way through college. Um, and so Spanish has been part of my life forever. And um, my Spanish was getting a little rusty as, you know, as I hadn't been in college for a while. And so I've really started studying it again. And it's funny because I was just thinking about this the other day. I do speak really good Spanish. Like I, I can read in Spanish. I can listen. I can understand pretty much everything people say. I can translate. Um, I know the grammar rules probably better than I do in English, but I probably feel more insecure about my Spanish than ever right now because I know enough to know what I don't know. And I think that when you're just starting out, if you can say like, hello, goodbye, and where's the library, you feel pretty good about yourself. And now Mm -hmm. I'm like, but I can't remember the four different ways to say couch in Spanish. Like, I I don't remember what the word for couch is in Spanish. Um, And there are just so many, I can see all the holes. And I think that that's, the more we know, the more we realize that we don't know. And I think that there's a really cool surrendering of being like, you know what, God, I am going to ask you about this someday. I will hope you will sit down with me and have a conversation with me about this. Um, if you if if you're cool with that, I'd love that. But um, for now, what I do know and what I'm willing to stake my life on is this, and and we can kind of let the rest be up to him. Yeah. No, I hope that there's a long like session in heaven where it's like we get all of our like what about this? I feel like half of eternity is going to be <laughs> or a good, a good chunk of eternity is going to be spent that way. But that's a great, I can tell you're a writer because that's such a great metaphor. Like the Spanish metaphor for, yeah, the older you get, the older I get, I'm like, I don't know anything. And at 22, I thought I knew everything. everything. Yes. <laughs> so if anyone else feels like they're knowing less, the older they get, I'm hoping that that's normal. We'll talk to someone who's older than us yeah. so we can double check. That. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> My therapist would agree. <laughs> yes. Perfect. Perfect. All right. Andrea's therapist says yes. Andrea, just as we're finishing up, I would love it if you could just give one last piece of encouragement to a woman who's sitting here just wrestling with her faith. Yeah. I want you to know that you're not alone. There are a lot of people beside you. There are a lot of people who've gone before you and experience this. A lot of people who will, you're not alone in your doubts. Um, doubting is normal. It's a part of faith. It's not a detour from faith. Um, it means that you are wanting to get to know that dark room. You're wanting to not just take things at face value or you're fine. You're feeling the need to grow in your faith. Um, one of my favorite quotes in, I quote it in the book, but he talks about, kind of, um, how in doubt, it seems like nothing's happening, but beneath the surface, a lot of stuff is happening and you're growing and you're going to come out the other end and see, Oh, there was, there were a lot of seeds being planted. A lot was happening beneath soil. soil. I just couldn't see it. And it looked dry and it looked like nothing was happening, but really there's a lot happening beneath the soil. So just keep on doing what you're doing and don't push it aside and find that person who's talking to God that you can talk to. I love that. I feel like the last thing I would say is, and this just popped into my mind, I feel like it has to be said, is that you don't have to remove yourself from church or from your friend group or from your Bible study or from this Christian community. You do not have to remove yourself until you have this figured out. You are still invited. There is still a place for you here. There will always be a place for you here, no matter how big the questions are that you're asking. So, um, yeah. 
Andrea, thank you so much for being here. I love getting to talk to you and um, I just really appreciate you. Yeah, me too. Thanks so much for having me. You guys, isn't Andrea amazing? I just love this conversation. I'm so glad I got to share it with you. Now, don't forget that if you ever want to find any of the links for anything we talk about in our Girls' Night episodes, you can always find those over in our show notes. Just head over to girlsnightpodcast.com and you'll find links for everything, including links for Andrea, so you can pick up her book and follow along with all the great stuff she's doing. All right, friends, that's it for today's episode, but we have so much good stuff still ahead this season. And with that in mind, now is the perfect time to make sure you're subscribed. Subscribing to the show is the best way to make sure you never miss an episode. It won't send you an email or anything. It'll just make sure your phone downloads the latest episode when a new one's released. And I did want to take a second to ask you guys a favor. If you enjoyed this episode or if you've been a Girls' Night fan for a while now, would you take just two quick seconds to leave us a rating and a review on iTunes? Those reviews help out our podcast so much, and it really would mean the world to me. So if you take two quick seconds to do that, I would be so grateful. Friends, thanks again for joining me for Girls' Night, and I will see you next week.